Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 37. We were there Sunday night. I'd like to complete the thought. And some of those thoughts you're not going to like tonight. Some of the thoughts are thoughts that, well, you expect in other people's lives and in other people's homes. You don't expect it in your own. And yet, opening up our eyes to the Word of God, the truths of the Word of God, we're going to find that we're going to have to be very, have our eyes open concerning family. You're already looking at me funny. Concerning family. I want you to notice beginning in verse 18. And when they saw him afar off, that's when the brothers of Joseph saw him coming there to Dothan. Even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat bread and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us, by the way, you might even underline that, what profit is it? When people start being worried more about profit than they do about right, everybody's in trouble. What profit is there? And this is a bad situation that's going on here. It says, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianite merchantmen and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found, not knowing whether it is thy son's coat or no. Don't you like that? Thy son's coat, not our brother's coat. Thy son's coat. Verse 33, and he knew it. And said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes. And put sackcloth upon his loins. And mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. We want to talk about Joseph's problem tonight. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I beg you tonight again for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God. Help us to bring the things out of this passage, Lord, that you would have us to get tonight. There's a multitude of lessons and things that we need to know, and we can't cover them all in one evening. So, Lord, please give me clarity of thought to cover those things that we need tonight. 
We pray the Spirit of God will use this message both here, also over the internet as well, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. On Sunday night, I preached that first message, although that's not the first time that Joseph appears in the Old Testament. I preached on the first 17 verses of this chapter. We have four previous mentions of Joseph. For instance, at his birth in Genesis chapter 30, verses 22 through 24, when Jacob was 91 years of age, Joseph was born. And then in Genesis chapter 33 and verse 2, when Esau was approaching Jacob, you'll remember that Jacob put, because he feared Esau, he put the Bilhah and Zilpah in the front part with many of the flocks and herds and their children, and then Leah with her children, and then finally Rachel with her children in the back. That if there was a slaughter in the beginning, the ones he wanted protected the most were Rachel and his children. Now, you know, in the long run, this is not going to be good. This only adds to the problem. How would you like to be one of the first 10 sons and be put there to be slaughtered by your dad instead of protecting them all? Nevertheless, that's Jacob for you. It's what he does. Uh, In Genesis 33 and verse 7, since Esau's visit was peaceful, we see Joseph bowing a respectful greeting to Esau. So that taught us a lesson of good manners as far as that particular point is concerned. Genesis 35, 24, his name is listed in a registry with Jacob's sons, with Benjamin, his only younger brother. Benjamin's birth had caused the death of their mom, Rachel. Remember, she died giving birth. She named him Ben-Omi, which was the son of my sorrow. And Jacob changed that to Benjamin, the son of my right hand. Now, on Sunday night, we looked at the principles that Joseph had. And this is amazing that he would be a man of such principles concerning, it appears, neither his dad nor any of his brothers had those principles in their life. They were missing an awful lot that they should have had. I mean, we could almost excuse the brothers because of dad's sorry example of being a supplanter. Whereas in the Old Testament, when God changed the name of Abram to Abraham, Abraham has never called anything else but Abraham from that point on. When Sarai's name was changed to Sarah, she is called Sarah then throughout the scripture after that. But when Jacob, supplanter, trickster, when God changed his name at Penuel after Jacob had prayed all night, and and God changed his name to Israel, prince with God. And yet in that very passage, same passage, he is still referred to again as Jacob, supplanter, trickster. And he proves it when he tricks Esau into going ahead back down to Edom. And he said he would be following along. And when Esau is gone, he travels over the Jordan River and goes to Shechem, not down to Edom. Even though he had been named a prince with God, he's not living it. He's still living like a trickster. And by the way, he is called Jacob and Israel interchangeably then throughout the remainder of the Old Testament because there were just some things about him that did not change. Now, I think you'd confess that for almost all of us here, there are things about us that God would be more pleased with if they were changed. But why do we struggle with those things? Why do we continue to struggle with some of the same old things that have kept us under the bondage of guilt and failure when we can make the decision through the power of God? The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Just an extra lesson there for you. So Joseph had some great privileges. But with those privileges, being the favored son, getting the coat of many colors, being a son that his father could trust, we find it also brought some great problems. And most of those problems, of course, were within the house. Now, it's not uncommon in the scripture for there to be problems among family. For some reason, we seem to be naive enough to think that we will probably never have any problem with our kids. All we expect the other fam- other churches, or the church families, to have some problems with their children. 
but we don't expect it out of us. As a matter of fact, we especially don't expect our children to have problems that turn to hatred with one another and against one another. And yet, it happens. It happens way too often. Even in the scripture, it happens many times. You can find in some of the children of the kings of Judah and also of Israel and even among the judges where their children ended up slaying their brethren. As a matter of fact, people were so excited, for instance, when a family like the Duggars uh, get known nationally or on TV because of all their, from what I understand, they were independent Baptist Christian family. But now with the stories that have come out in just the last few years and the debauchery that took place within the family with one of the sons and the daughters and all of that wickedness, pardon me, that took place, people wish, and I'm sure mom and dad probably wish they'd never been on TV in the first place. Because that kind of thing makes national news. And their name is now not known for being a good Christian family, and I'm sure many of them are good Christians. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But the problems that came about came about in family. Matter of fact, I have witnessed many times throughout my ministry of 50 years almost, uh, closing in on 50 years in just the next couple of years, uh, I have noticed many times where families have turned on one another, some loving the Lord and others in the same family not wanting anything to do with God. Oh, we never would have thought that would happen, but it simply reinforces this truth that God gives everyone a free will. And you start to make some bad choices. You start going down that road of bad choices. It's not going to end up good. And in this family of Jacob, we see some terrible things that take place. You know, people, and I want, young people, I want you to get this. Young adults, you need to get it. You fellows who travel TDY for, your, uh, for the companies that you work for, you need to get it. You are what you are when nobody that knows you, nobody that knows you can see you. You are what you are. This story takes place at least 40 to 80 miles away from home. The only ones that know about it are the Ishmaelites, and they sure wouldn't care, Joseph's brethren. But his father does not know what takes place. And no matter how good of a, uh, how good of a, I'm trying to think of the word, um, a face they may put on it, they are what they are when their dad can't see them. You are what you are when the police don't see you. You are what you are when you get on the internet late at night and you don't think anybody sees you. The only problem is that you have is that God sees you. And the Bible says, God said, be sure your sin will find you out. That's a promise. It may not be this week. It may not be this year. But your sin will find you out. Getting away from home, the only one who ends up looking good out of this whole thing is Joseph. None of his brothers look good at this. Well, in this situation, we want you to notice some things. Um, We want to notice, first of all, the perpetrators, or let's just call them the perps. That works for us today, doesn't it? We hear that term a lot. Uh, we know a lot about those villains. I mean, we know about their wickedness. Now, here they are. Uh, they were a family with uh, 12 boys. They had at least one daughter, but we have daughters mentioned here in the plural in the story. So there may be some others that God did not tell us about as far as daughters are concerned. Nevertheless, this is a big family. Admittedly, Jacob didn't have that good of a testimony He always seemed to be living for himself. Matter of fact, when it comes time for him to give his testimony before Pharaoh later on, when Joseph brings him down, he talks about being 137 years old, and then he makes this statement. He says, few and evil have been the days of my journey. 137 years. Few and evil. Well, why do you think that is, Jacob? 
maybe because you did way too many evil things. He brought it to bear upon himself. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The persecution of Joseph begins in the early part of this chapter. We read three times in the first part of this chapter, and they hated him. And they hated him yet the more. And they hated him yet the more. Listen, this wasn't a cousin. This was their brother. They hated him. We don't have any record in the scripture of Joseph having done anything wrong. But his brothers hated him. And they hated him. And they hated him. And then it says, and they envied him. Three times we're told that the older brothers hated Joseph. Now, remember, this is family. As a matter of fact, in a moment, we're going to turn over to Matthew and we're going to take a look at a few verses in Matthew. As a matter of fact, let's just go ahead and do it now. Turn over to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And we'll get the warnings of Jesus himself. This ought to cause every mom and dad to take a look at their children. Things may be fine today, but there's no telling what it may be like five years from now. Or ten years from now. Or even one year from now. You'll notice in Matthew chapter 10, the Bible says in verse 21, For the brother shall deliver up the brother to death. And the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Now go on down to verse 34. In verse 34, Jesus still speaking says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father. And the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes underline this verse and a man's foes shall be they of his own household I have seen that played out in good families I mean with a mom and dad that loved the Lord and their children absolutely hating them despising them and being extremely public about it. Now, by the way, the parent doesn't have to do anything wrong for a child to hate them. If that child starts making some bad decisions and the parents don't go along with it, they'll be hated. Matter of fact, I've seen parents who bailed out their children over and over and over again lavish them with all kinds of good stuff, help them through hard times, but then when the time came and they wasted some of their substance and they came back to mom and dad and said, we need you to help us out again, and mom and dad are at the end of their rope, they've got no more help to give, they're just trying to live now, and those kids end up hating those parents that had sacrificed so much for them. We're talking about in family. You see, a lot, of, a lot of these Bible college graduates, they've got the idea, they know why every family, everybody in the family, why they go astray. So they're going to make sure it's not going to happen in their, well, only if you can take their free will away from them. Can you guarantee it? And you can't take it away from them. Brother Ron Williams, who was a man who headed up the Hepzibah house up in Indiana, good home. Did a great work. When we had him here back in the 90s, he said to me, he said, Brother Allison, you know, I used to think that I had the, I knew the reasons for why Christians' kids went astray. He said, but how do you explain it when you've got five children in a family, all brought up by the same mom and dad in the same church, heard the same instruction, got the same discipline, saw the same examples for godliness, Four of them, after they grow up, are serving the Lord, and one wants nothing to do with God. How do you explain that? 
And the only explanation there is, is they have a free will. Your children have a free will. Job understood that, which is really amazing. Without a Bible, he understood it. When he was offering sacrifice in Job chapter 1 for his children, his 10 children were getting together, and he's offering a sacrifice for them, lest in their party time they curse God in their heart. He understood that his children could do wrong, no matter how good they were yesterday. We need to understand that too. And I don't know how many times I have seen parents whose children have gone astray spend the rest of the time blaming themselves for their children having gone astray. Living literally defeated Christian lives because they feel like they failed their children when they didn't fail their children. Their children made wrong choices. It's all about choices for your life. The thing is, one bad choice means you have to come to the place where you're willing to admit it's a bad choice and turn around and go back the other way. Or you have to end up making another bad choice to justify the bad choice you made. And it ends up being a spiral going down. It's like I said, you get on 72 headed west, you're going to end up in Athens unless you turn off. If you don't turn off, you're going through Athens. And for anybody that may be watching this from Athens tonight over the Internet, I'm not running down Athens, but it's just a good illustration. Amen. Now, not only their wickedness, but notice their words. Notice how they mock. When they said in verse 19, Behold, this dreamer cometh. They're using this derisive term. Let me ask you a question. Who gave Joseph the dreams? God gave him the dreams. God gave. Do you realize that something that God may do for you may lead other people to hate you? And use in a mocking way, in a derisive way, what God did for you, they'll use that as a mark against you. That's what his brothers did. They hated him for it. This is wicked. Not only wicked, but their words show what's in their heart. They mocked his truthfulness because, you see, he had told them his dreams. I've heard some young preachers get after Joseph about doing that. And the problem I have with that is God doesn't get after him. God doesn't even hint that he did wrong in sharing the dream that God had given him. Not a bit. They mock God's truth. Note in verse 20, we shall see what will become of his dreams. We want to make sure that his dreams don't get fulfilled. And believe me, there are people out there, no matter how much, for instance, you might love Madison Baptist Church and how much you may want to see Madison Madison Baptist Church be faithful in winning souls in Africa and in South America and in Europe and over in the, uh, wherever else we have missionaries, which is all over the place. Um, And you want to see souls saved and you want to see souls saved here. I got news for you. There are people out there. Some who used to be members of Madison Baptist Church that the last thing they want to hear about is God blessing here. If they hear somebody leaving, they rejoice. They think it's great. And they'll blast it on their TikTok, Instagram, book face, all of that. They love it. Do you understand? That's the way people are. And that is the way that these brothers were with Joseph. That's the same thing that was done with Jesus concerning the truth about him being the son of God. The Jews didn't like that. They attacked him. As a matter of fact, they called it blasphemy and they wanted to kill him. They mocked him as they beat him when it came time for the crucifixion. They mocked him as they hung him on the cross. And while he hung there on the cross, they mocked him still. Just read Matthew chapter 27. Or you can read the prophecy of that event in Psalm 22. And you see the cruelty 
of men. And it wasn't just the vile Roman soldiers that were mocking him, but the religious crowd was mocking him in his pain and agony as well. That's people. That's what people who've made wrong decisions do. And here's the thing. They feel totally justified in their comments. Do you know why? Because they were offended at what Joseph told them. Good night. There was a woke crowd way back then. You've got to check with them to see if if you call them he or she. If you don't give them what they want to hear. If they, if here's a, here's a male biologically who wants to be called she, man, they're ready to take you to court. They're ready to demand that you get fired from your job because you have offended them. That's mankind. That's what mankind does. So they feel totally justified in their comments. They don't see the evil of it. Or should we say, Perhaps more accurately, they refuse to see the evil of it. Mockers will come and go. But the Bible says that the word of God, the word of our God, shall stand forever. Isaiah 40 and verse 8. Now, obviously, with such wickedness in their heart and evil words on their lips, no good can come of this. Also in this, we see their ways. They are the ways of Cain, spoken of in 1 John chapter 3. Jesus, brothers, you, you read in John chapter 7, the first five verses, obviously his brothers had not been convinced yet. And hey, they had Mary for a mother too. But it's obvious they didn't like Jesus. Now, when you think about that, we know Jesus didn't do anything wrong. Anytime. Never sinned. Anytime. Now, I'm I just going to throw this out to you. I don't know that Mary ever said it. I just know mothers and fathers today. Why can't you be like your brother? Imagine having Jesus for your brother in the home and you're the second child. They weren't used to this. There was never a need to discipline him. Always right, always respectful, always honored his mom and dad. Well, suffice it to say, serving the Father may be our highest calling, but it will cause us to suffer, get this, even from those we love. Now, I want you to think about it. Serving Jesus will cause you to suffer even from those you love. When we got saved, as far as I know, as far as the Allison family was concerned, we were the first of any of the Allison family that I knew that had taken Christ as their Savior. I mean, the Allison family wasn't known for any kind of godliness or righteousness in any way. And of course, as we grew in the Lord and as we got separated unto the Lord, as far as they were concerned, we were weird. Now, for a while, they waited for us to get over it. And we didn't get over it. We got more into it. Do you think that made him happier? Not a bit. It didn't make him happier. I can remember, and I've told this story many times, about my dad coming down to Chattanooga. My dad never heard me preach any time. He did come down uh, one time to visit us in Chattanooga. Actually, he came down twice. But uh, this one time that he came down, uh, he was there, came after Sunday and left before church on Wednesday night so he wouldn't have to go to church. And that Wednesday night while we're sitting there eating before church time, I decided to witness to my dad again. I went through the plan of salvation. I said, Dad, wouldn't you like to trust Christ as Savior? And he said nothing. So we sat there in silence for the next few minutes. And then he said to his wife, he said, not my mom, his wife, And he said, it's time to leave. So they got in the car and they started heading back to Michigan. My wife and I got in the car. We only had Kathy at that time. And um, we were driving out to Pinewood Baptist Church in North Chattanooga where I was pastoring. And as we drove out there, we were going over the Tennessee River, doing that little crossover uh, into North Chattanooga or Red Bank into that area. 
And we were both feeling sorry for ourselves because we loved our families and we loved to have fellowship with them. And even the couple that I had led to Christ didn't appreciate the kind of lifestyle that we lived, even though they had gotten saved, they hadn't grown in the Lord. Uh, But then you got family members, they didn't want to be around us. They felt so uncomfortable. They were afraid that a curse word might come out and it could at any time. And then they'd be embarrassed and they were afraid we'd be embarrassed or we might start talking about Jesus and then they'd be embarrassed. They didn't want to be around us. And then Kathy in the back seat just started singing while we're going across the Tennessee River. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. My wife and I just started crying. I mean... That's the decision that we'd made. That's what we needed to be reminded of. She got done singing that verse. She went to the next one. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one join me, still I will follow. I don't have any doubt that back at home when they all, when they got together any time, we were the joke. People you love, family members. You're the joke. I know there are people here tonight. You've gone through that yourself. I mean, you folks that were brought up in good, solid Christian homes that love it that you live in for God, man, you praise God for that experience. Praise God if you've got parents who love the Lord and brothers and sisters that love God and a good relationship. I got news for you. A whole lot of people just don't have that at all. Well, anyway... So here is uh, what's going on. God set his love upon his people Israel, and they sure didn't deserve it. You realize that they didn't deserve it from the beginning. You know that? It's amazing how people want to take away the promises to Israel, and God loved them from the beginning. He loved them. Why? He just says he did. They weren't a great people. They weren't more numerous. And by the way, they weren't more obedient than any other people. Why should God love us? We've got a complete Bible and we're constantly walking in disobedience to his word. But thank God he does. And he hasn't taken away the promises to us. The Holy Spirit of God still lives inside of me. The promise of heaven is still real. I don't know where we get off thinking somehow we're so much better than Israel was. Man, we got the complete Bible. And look at the mess that we create for ourselves. Man, this is a hard message. Verses 23 and 24, they stripped Joseph of his robe. They cast him into a pit to suffer. And just picture the scene. And then what do they do? They sit down and eat a meal. Here's their brother in the pit. Their brother. Their brother. And they've thrown him in the pit. They're going to sell him into slavery to be taken off into Egypt. As far as they know, this is better than killing him because he's going to have it harder there than he would be if death just came right now. And they're eating and enjoying it. Imagine going through that. Next time you think about having hard feelings toward family members, have they thrown you in a pit? Have they sold you off to slavery? Sure, they may not like you. They may have said bad things about you. But I mean, what, where they had Joseph, it didn't look like anything good was going to come out of this. Then they sold him into slavery. Then they inflicted on top of that pain upon their father using deception. They didn't start out telling him that an animal had killed him. Now, they said that's what they were going to do. It's not what they did. They said, let's let him figure it out. And so they shredded the coat. They killed the goat and put the blood on that. And they said, is this your son's? We don't know what's happened to him. He figured it out on his own. Now, he was wrong. Good news. At least 13 years later, maybe 15, 18 years later, when he finds out his son is really alive. 
By the way, the commentary of these brothers in Genesis chapter 42, in verses 21 and 22, it says, And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear. Therefore, behold, also is his blood is required. Now, that's interesting, you hypocrite. Remember Reuben. He's the one that went in unto Bilhah, committed immorality there, loses the birthright because of what he did. And you remember when Jacob wants to bless his children, he goes to Reuben, Reuben first. He says, Reuben, my firstborn, the excellency of my might says some high things. He says, nevertheless, thou will not excel, unstable as water. Now, it was Reuben that didn't want to put Joseph to death. As a matter of fact, he had a plan. He was thrown in the pit. He was going to come back, and he was going to let Joseph out of the pit and present him to the father. That was his plan. We say that's very noble. Well, he could have taken a stand right there, but he, knowing Levi and Simeon, two men of anger, he probably felt like if he did that, took a stand publicly right then, that he'd be thrown in the pit too. And I think he had good reason to believe that. He had seen Simeon and Levi in their anger murder the men at Shechem. Get this, though. When he comes back and finds Joseph is gone, he rends his clothes. You say, yes, his heart's in the right place. Really? Because he's right there with him presenting that bloody coat to his dad. He's right there with him. You understand in groups like that, you've got several different dynamics that are taking place, just like in a church situation. You'll have some people who just don't, for instance, it may be, the, let's say the preacher's the target. They just don't like the preacher. They're not going to be happy until he's gone. He's preached something they don't like. He's preached too long. Maybe he just said no about something. Maybe their precious darling wanted to get married to somebody, but because that precious darling that uh, her, 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 his precious darling was going to marry, um, uh, the, the one she wanted to marry wasn't saved or had been divorced, and he wasn't going to allow it. He wasn't going to take part in it. The pastor wasn't. Now they hate him. And so they try to get some crowd around them and they'll gossip and they'll complain because they don't like it. There'll be some people who just kind of sit back. They won't stand up. They won't say anything because those people then probably would turn on them. They're not going to do that. But when later, when everything falls apart, they'll be the first to stand up and say, I told you so. You can't count on them. There's always some, any gossip. That, that's why you've got to be very careful what you get on Facebook with. I believe, you've heard me say this many times, if you're going to have a Facebook page, fine. Make it a Christian one. But don't get on somebody else's who's, who isn't. Why would, you, why would you count somebody a friend and go to their Facebook site when they allow gossip, critical spirit, critical attitude, stories, unverified, or even curse words, why would you as a Christian get on their Facebook site? Why would you do that? I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them to turn aside. It shall not cleave to me is what the psalmist said. Oh, this is good stuff tonight. Man alive. His plan didn't work because of this, of his great show of rending his garment. It did absolutely no good. It counted for nothing because you couldn't count on Reuben to take the stand he should take when the chips were down. He just didn't do it. So if you're going to do evil, you might as well profit from it. They decide, hey, let's not kill him. How's that going to profit us? We'll sell him. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what they did with the money. Obviously, they got a little bit out of it. And with all that deception that they did, of course, by the way, you realize that David had a problem with some of that stuff. Uh, David had some unsavory conduct. When he was still running from Saul with all the good that he had done, but you remember when he went to the high priest's place and the high priest said, 
What's the servant of Saul doing? He says, Saul's commanded us. We had to leave. We didn't get everything. And later on, he'll admit that going there, eating the showbread that the priest gave him, occasioned the death of the high priest. Do you understand that your actions or your inactions when you should have action, you're not standing for righteousness, you're not speaking up, do you realize that has an effect on other people? David messed up. He should not have been there. He should not have lied to the high priest about what he was doing. By the way, he also, uh, back in Genesis chapter 27... Oh, here's what I was thinking about. Once you get this, it's interesting when you look at Jacob, how these things come back on him from the things that he had done. In Genesis 27, when Isaac was wanting to bless Esau and he wanted to eat some of his tasty meat, you'll remember that Rebekah heard the conversation that was going on. As soon as as Esau got out of the way, she went, had a kid killed, made it like savory venison, and sent Jacob in, even put goat's hair on his arm so his dad wouldn't be able to tell the difference because his dad couldn't see. So then we have, Rebecca, we have Joseph lying to his father. He lied about being his father's favorite son, and he used the coat of his goats to accomplish the deed. So we have, in this case, these sons lying about the favored son. They lied to their father. And they used the blood of a goat to accomplish the deed. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He's simply getting back what he had given out. Now we like to say what goes around comes around. God says, whatsoever you sow, that shall you also reap. That's how God looks at it. What a mess. So now his sons lie to him, their father. They lie about his favorite son. They use the coat of his favorite, of his favorite son, and they killed a goat to complete the lie. Well, that's all the first point. Second point is much shorter, which you're glad to hear. The victims of the persecution. And I see several victims of the persecution that takes place for uh, Joseph. Number one, Joseph obviously suffered. Of course, that's who they were trying to get. They took the coat to demote righteousness, just as Satan's helpers on the internet blog seek to destroy men who stand for righteousness. There's not a godly ministry out there that isn't attacked by people who at one time were blessed by that ministry. It's amazing. It's just amazing to me. I knew of a pastor, he led a particular man to Christ that was a hard, hard living guy. Five years later, that guy is leading the charge to get the pastor ousted from the church simply because he didn't like his preaching. And they did it. They got it done. Anyway, uh, Proverbs 29, 27, he that is upright in the way is abomination to the wicked. Understand that? You do right. You might teach this to your children, parents. Teach him. You know, if you decide to do right, it's going to cost you. If you decide to do right when you're around your friends, guys, when you're around your guy friends, you don't put up with the cussing, you're not going to have it go on around you. Say, guys, you shouldn't do that. Do you have the courage? Do you have enough spirituality about you to say something about it? You young ladies, you get around some girls and they're gossiping, maybe about the youth pastor or the youth pastor's wife saying things that are not right, can you stand up and say, hey, that's not right, I'm not standing around with you people and listening to this. Do you think we should actually expect a teenager to take that kind of stand in front of their friends? Well, how are they going to do it as an adult if they don't start doing it now? Taking a stand for righteousness. You say, but they'll hate me, they'll talk about me. Yes, they probably will. But hey, it'll be for right. Blessed are you, blessed are you, when they shall persecute you and say, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. That's what Jesus said. Imagine that, taking that kind of a stand. Then they put him in the pit, and then they sold him to get him out of the way. 
Now, they don't know what God knows. And when you see Joseph being carried off, separated from his brothers, and he is for over 13 years. He's 17 years old when this thing takes place. He is 30 years old when he becomes the head man in Egypt. Never would have happened if they hadn't sold him off into captivity. I got news for you. Hey, for the rebels that may be here or the rebels that may be watching over the Internet, guess what God's going to do with all that nonsense you spew out on your little web pages? God's going to use that to exalt himself, and you'll be the one sorry you're paying for it. But it does hurt Joseph for the time. Secondly, Jacob suffers. The Bible says in verse 35 that Jacob refused to be comforted. What had Jacob done wrong? I mean, these people, basically, they're one of the richest families in all of Palestine, in all the promised land, in all of Canaan. I mean, this is a rich family. And their dad's ability to be able to make money and take care of herds and stuff like that, which he demonstrated up with Laban, is, has to do with their riches. And now they've hurt their father. To him, Joseph was dead. But he wasn't dead. By the way, let me say something else about Reuben. When that coat was pre- presented, Reuben could have, stead, could have stood up and said, Dad, that's goat blood. He's alive, but he's been taken down to Egypt. Coward. Dirty, stinking coward. That's what he was. Coward. Wow. Wow. Joseph's brothers also suffered. Well, why? Well, I already read the verses from Genesis chapter 42. You'll remember when the cup is found in Benjamin's uh, sack and they're all brought back and they're talking to one another and they said, it's all because what we did to Joseph. It's all because what we did to the boy. Boy, you're talking about a guilty conscience. Then you get to Genesis chapter 50. Several years later, Jacob is dead. They've been eating off the fat of the land in Goshen for the last several years. Joseph has already told them he forgave them. He told them you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. But word has just come down that Jacob has died. The brothers get together. You know, now that dad's dead, he's probably going to kill us. So they... Go to Jacob. I'm sorry, not Jacob. They go to Joseph. And they basically say this. Remember, you told father you'd forgive us. And the Bible says of Joseph that he wept. He wept. I heard a professor at Tennessee Temple give this illustration because... I think probably the majority of Christians have a time in their life when they doubt whether or not they, they really got saved. And it could be for any number of reasons. It could be for some sin in their life, things they didn't add to their own salvation, whatever. But they have doubts. And he had obviously counseled this professor. He had counseled a number of students who were doubting their salvation. And when he was reading from Genesis chapter 50... And he says, you see here, they come back to Joseph, who had forgiven them. He had taken care of them. He had provided for them. And they're basically saying, remember, you told Dad that you'd forgive us. And he wept. He said, I wonder how many times people come to God and say, Lord, if I'm not saved, save me. He said, I wonder if God doesn't weep. Don't you know I did that the first time you asked me? When I heard that, that helped me. That helped me. People begin doubting for all kinds of reasons. They begin doubting sometimes because they can't remember the words they prayed. And it's not the words that you prayed. It's who you trusted. If you trusted Jesus, you're saved. All right. And that's all taken care of. Now, sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's because sin got in their life. I know people who doubted their salvation because of dreams they've dreamed. 
How could a saved mind have that kind of stuff go through their mind? Because it's still the flesh. That's why. But he forgave all that. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's God's promise. But back to the basic story here. What we see is Joseph's brothers also suffer for many years. How many times in all those years in Goshen did they think about that? To mention it even decades later after Jacob dies, they, were, they still felt dirty and guilty because of what they had done. I'll guarantee you there are people here that sometimes when they lay their head down at night, and get to thinking about the past. Some memory comes back to mind where it just makes them shuddered. Can't believe I did that. Can't believe I did that. What must God think of me? Well, if you've trusted Christ, I'll tell you what he thinks. He thinks forgiven. Forgiven. Heard a preacher say many years ago, I just decided... Why should I remember what God has forgotten? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray you'd use this message tonight to help parents. This should help them to understand their children better. They may be at a place where everything's hitting on all eight cylinders. Things are fine in the home. But down the road someplace, there'll be some rough spots. And sometimes those rough spots will be between brothers and sisters. God, help them to understand what's going on. I pray, dear God, you'd help us when it happens to us. But Lord, most of all, may we look to you, find strength and help in you that we know even when attacked, even in the darkest of night, you have a plan. You even use the wrath of man to glorify yourself, and we exalt you for it. Help us in our walk, I pray, in Jesus' name.